0: On Roar, I share real talks with top executives, thought leaders, luminaries, authors, and entrepreneurs who are passionate about building the next generation of inspired, empowered, game-changing leaders. Are you ready to fear less and move into your dream life? Let's Roar. Welcome to Roar. I'm your host, Lakeisha Gunter. So what do I mean by ROAR? The beauty of ROAR is that it's both an acronym. The acronym stands for Reflection, Opportunity, Action, and Relationships. And it's an action. We are all born with it, a hidden power inside of us. It is a fire that is often suppressed by fear. That power is your ROAR and it's waiting to be unleashed. Today, I'm excited to talk about being bold, brave, and leading with passion and authenticity. That is exactly what is needed in these unprecedented times that we're all experiencing today. My guest today is truly the epitome of bold, brave, authentic leadership. And as a result, she's had a super successful career in public relations. Yes, Lisa Osborne Ross, a PR executive with over 20 years of experience in the field. She is currently the US Chief Operating Officer and President of Edelman's Washington, D.C.'s office. Edelman is a global communications firm that partners with businesses and organizations to evolve, promote, and protect their brands and reputations. She joined Edelman in 2017 from APCO Worldwide, where she was the managing director of the firm's Washington, D.C. office. Prior to APCO, she had a 15-year career at Ogilvy. And before that, she served in the Clinton administration, serving as a communications director for the U.S. Department of Labor's effort to promote high-performance workplaces. She was the deputy director of the Bipartisan Federal Glass Ceiling Commission and chief of staff of the White House Office of Women's Initiatives and Outreach. Today, we'll talk about her rise to the C-suite at Edelman, her experiences serving the role amid the unique challenges and environmental conditions of 2020 her passion to bring more diverse voices to the executive leadership ranks in the PR space, and why it's important for leaders to be bold and brave during these unprecedented times. With that, let's welcome Lisa to the show.
1: Welcome, Lisa. Oh, thank you, Lakeisha. And just in case I forget and don't get a chance to do this at the end of this call, thank you for setting up this opportunity. Thank you for talking about the importance of finding and using our war and for you yourself being the epitome and the example of what we're talking about. So thank you to you before we do anything else.
0: Oh my gosh, you're so kind and gracious. I so appreciate that. Well, I tell you, as I I, Lisa and I always uh, love to catch up and I, I share with her and I'll share with the audience. I mean, I told her she's my BFF not just in my head, but in life. And so if I get to the East Coast ever and I move there, I'm like, we're going to be fast buddies uh, every day because she is such a joy. And my audience, you're going to love her. And um, Lisa and I met a couple years ago at a women's leadership conference. And she spoke about just her, her passion for developing talent, developing people, and really just what she's done in the PR industry. And we all walked away saying, wow, we need mm. some of that. And, and so her boldness, her braveness, her courageousness, her heart for people came through, and I have just not let her go since then. So I know you're (laughs) going to enjoy her today. So let's launch right in. (laughs) (laughs) So Lisa, I know you, but tell us a bit about your background, where you're from, and who are some of your biggest influences growing up?
1: All right. This is actually, this might be your softball question because, (laughs) and also your gift to me because I love in any opportunity I have to pay homage to my mother and father. Yes. I, my, mama, my mom and dad were part of that great migration. My dad was a Mumford Point Marine. For those of you who don't know that, please look it up. My mother went to West Virginia State. They met at Howard University at a football mm-hmm. game where my mother said she was there looking for her MRS. And my dad was like, I was just trying to find a good party. And you see <laughs> what happened there. After 36 years of marriage, he passed away. And mm-hmm. I was born of love. Mm-hmm. And I was born of commitment and I was born of service. And my parents were my role models. My parents mm-hmm. were, the way I was raised was the way I wanted to raise my children. And the way my parents, particularly my mother, who is my all-time role model, the way she worked was the way I wanted to work, the type of colleague she was is the type of colleague I wanted to be, the type of boss she was, the type of partner she was. So I was fortunate that from the very beginning I had, you know, I I was guided, you know, I I had a platform. I had, I, you know, that whole concept, if you can see it, you could be it. Mm -hmm. I could see it in my own house. So I didn't have to go outside. I could see it in my own home. And so I knew. So I am very proud to say I'm a native Washingtonian, born and raised in in DC when it was chocolate city. Mm-hmm. And when the concept of black excellence was everywhere around us. I was educated by feminist nuns at an all girls prep school where I was one of four black girls in our graduating class, but also the vice president of the class and the prom queen. Mm-hmm. And the nuns taught us, they were like, we wanted to have a, a cheerleading team for our boys school. She was like, Will y'all play field hockey, soccer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and basketball cheer for yourselves. And so, <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Hello.
1: And, and, and this, this, the, the head mistress, her name is sister, Mary Claire. And it's not a coincidence that my daughter's name is Claire. Wow. She taught us. Yeah. Yeah. She taught us like own your femininity, own your gender and do something with it. And it does not require men for you to be successful. So Mm -hmm. that was probably, you know, so rooted with what my parents gave me and then nurtured in high school. I'm a very, very proud graduate of Marquette University. Yay. Where, yay. And then the Jesuit approach of making a difference and being a difference in social justice was ingrained in me there. And then, you know, and I ran back from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to be in D.C. because it's always and still is my favorite city.
0: I love it. I love it. That's
1: where I came from and explains really very much of who
0: I am. Absolutely. Well, it just comes through, right? I mean, just uh, the phenomenal foundation of love and service commitment with your your parents being great role models, commitment, your mom, who is just a super bad woman herself, right? Doing her thing. And you seeing that example early on. I love the reference to sister mary claire because not only did you get empowerment in your home you got it in the schools at a very early age right to really you know be your own person stand up for what you believe in use your voice for good and so that i can see how that continues to just ring through today so thank you for sharing that
1: yeah and and lakisha it's funny when we talk about what makes people whatever someone's definition of success is it is, and, I, and you, you exude this, so this is this is not news to you, but the power of positivity mm-hmm. is real. Like the power of positivity and being surrounded by positive things, not that we don't have tough times, because Lord knows, I think we're going to talk about that later, Right. <laughs> but surrounding yourself with positivity it's, is immeasurable in terms of the impact that it can have in your life
0: my gosh, I'm telling you, your attitude determines your altitude. I mean, we can have so many, and you're in PR, so you have them all, right? <laughs> but you, you know, the, the power of a positive mindset, just intention. I was just talking to a, a coworker today and um, he said, like, how's you today? And so I'm like, it's just joyful, right? And, and so he was like, really, I was like, listen, I am telling myself before I go into every meeting that I'm having a joyful day, right? And he said, you know what? I was just in a high performance class and they talked about Setting your intentions in the morning, setting your mindset, right? Around that positive inspiration to carry you through the day. I'm like, yeah, I agree. And I gotta do it every meeting. So okay, so
1: this is kind of crazy. And this is why we need to talk more because now I'm looking through my phone. Oh, uh-huh. first the first text I had at 6:15 this morning was from, and you may know this sister, Imani Green, who runs Green Consulting. Yes. And she just sent three emoji kisses and She said, I just wanted to start your day and Mm -hmm. I hope something amazing happens. And I said, you know what? I woke up. So one, two, I heard from you, I'm off to a good start and everything else will be gravy. But just starting your day like that was with that positivity just kind of set me. So it's important.
0: It's important. Absolutely, I'm telling you, right? It just keeps you going all day long. Well, you know, building on just the phenomenal parents that you had and the environment they set in the home, when you think back on your experiences growing up, that really helped shape you who you are. You talked about some of them with Sister Mary Claire. Anything else stand out as a defining moment that really helped you shape your roar and release your roar?
1: That is a great question. Do you you know what? I think it's been a cumulative process for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that we should actually, I think that for some people, they do have a defining moment. And I have had a couple, which I'll talk about, where it's like, I almost roared for you, but I won't. (laughs) But I think for some people, there's a defining moment. They're like, oh, my God, here I am. I'm ready. I'm going to do this. This is who I am and now you know my identity is revealed and I'm ready and it wasn't like that for me I mm-hmm. think for me it's just been like a little bit more mm-hmm. and a little bit more and a little bit more starting with the foundation that I discussed however I will say that maybe 7 years ago at an agency that I had worked at for a long time I had an incident over something seemingly stupid like office space. Hmm. And it revealed to me a hierarchical patriarchy of white male supremacy that I've grown up with my entire life and have known about, but... It hit me at this moment, and oh my gosh, I'm glad you're asking the question because I'm kind of mm-hmm. reliving it a little bit, yeah. but it hit me at this moment that I was being denied something that my counterparts who mm-hmm. I was outperforming was a stronger leader, was a, had better numbers, has, was, was better at my job, that I was led to believe that I was being temperamental. I was being emotional. I was being almost, these words weren't used, I wanna be fair, but almost mm-hmm. like I was making a big deal out of nothing, like I was being petty. And I thought to myself, "But, and this, this sounds crazy, but why should I be denied what all of you have when mm-hmm. I am outperforming you and I am senior? And that was, and it's coming back to me in a very powerful way, LaKeisha, that was a real moment for me. And I was like, oh, I see what's up. Mm-hmm. You know what? Not like I hadn't seen it before. Right. But it was at that moment that it was so crystal clear to me. So I think this cumulative roar started to get, a, got, a, got a
0: little, a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it got it. It was like a little, like, it might have been like a consistent lioness war or lion war, but then it became a lioness. You know, it yes. became a lioness war. And then but I have had friends say to me that in the past year that they have seen something in me that mm. is a palatable difference mm. and that you've always spoken your truth. You've always advocated for others. You've always done X, Y, and Z, but I think I now do it and I don't
0: give a damn. I know that's right.
1: (laughs) So I think I've always done it, but now I'm like, and I don't care. Right. (laughs) And I don't care. I'm moving forward. So either stand next to me, get behind me or lead, but I'm moving. I I love that. You know, know? so I think I'm glad you asked that question because it made me revisit some stuff I see. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Listen, I know, you know what? And those moments, I actually, to your point, I appreciate them because, you know, that energy, that fire, that passion uh, rises up in me in a way that says, no, 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 right? Not today. And not, not today. today, you're going to try it with me. Who else are you going to try coming back right. who may not be as strong? But yes. I, there's a lesson not only for me today, but it's a lesson for you. And I'm going yes. to make sure you get that gift. Today. Yes,
1: <laughs> and, and I think, and I think you're right. I think something shifts and it's like, Nothing, I'm not, and you're not any different than who you've been your entire career, but now there is an emancipation. It's like, I'm not worried about how you feel Mm -mm, mm -mm. and I'm not worried about how you're going to receive this information. And I am always going to be respectful because if I'm not respectful with you, then I can't expect you to be respectful with me. So mm-hmm. I'm always going to deal with you with respect. And also, yes. my parents would rise up and, and snatch me down if I didn't. But <laughs> right. unless I don't, but you you need to work out your feelings on this because this is what we're going to do. <laughs>
0: right, I love it. Well, <laughs> this is a great segue, right? Because I know, I mean, again, fostering you at a very early age is having your voice and being willing to share it and talking about being bold and brave. And you talk about that a lot, right? And I know. you're you're a woman of excellence, right? And when you deliver, you deliver in excellence, right? And we believe that we can help others get there in a good way, right? Because there's an opportunity for all of us to bring our best selves and do our best work because that's when we're most proud. Yeah. Talk about how you are kind of standing on that bold and brave persona and how does that manifest in your daily practice of leadership and how do you use it to really even empower your teams?
1: Yeah. One, I have to lead by example and- In order for me to demand bold and brave, I have to exhibit bold and brave. So that's how I deal with my team. And for me, being bold is how you think. It's how you conceive. It's how you determine. It's how you assess. And you have to be open and you have to look at things that might make you uncomfortable or, or entertain something that you're not familiar with or something that you don't like. So I think that is the bold part. It's in your thinking. The bravery is in the execution. Mm-hmm. The bravery is in the execution. And so, you know, we very often think these things, but then we don't actually do it. And so it's for me the importance of freeing yourself. And a lot of it is like, be around people that you disagree with. You know, I've I've enjoyed this conversation so much we have about diversity. And, you know, people are like, you know, like, I'm gonna get the racial ethnic thing. I'm gonna get the gender thing. I'm gonna get the LGBTQ thing. I'm gonna even try to get some geography. So if I'm from (laughs) the north, I'm gonna try to be open to the south. But what we don't do where we're not open is on political diversity. Oh yeah. And so so when you are being bold, you have to look at all of that stuff and it's uncomfortable and it hurts sometimes. And again, the bravery is in the execution.
0: I love that. I love that. Wow. And as you were talking, I'm thinking, I started to think about my job. I'm like, the conversation I just had, bravery yeah. and execution, right? Yeah. And being willing to just get out there and get it done and, and not be encumbered by the way that we've always done it, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. In so many ways. I love that. T- speaking of that, right, I know you've had a phenomenal career, done a lot of amazing things, president of Edelman, and now you've just become COO. During a crazy time in our environment, COVID-19, the pandemic, the environmental landscape, racial injustice, all these things were taking hold, these events that all decided to manifest themselves at the same time in 2020. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How how is that? I mean, like one wasn't enough, right? How has that changed you as a leader? How has it informed you? What have you learned about yourself in the process?
1: I've spent some time thinking about... My timing, and you know, you started mm-hmm. a, a new significant, significant job in the middle of all of this too. Yes. And I have said to myself, "Well, damn, <laughs> I should have done this like last year or next what? year." What? Why didn't they ask me last year? <laughs> or shit, why didn't they wait until? i Oops, I just cursed. Why didn't they wait? Until, <laughs> why didn't they wait until next year? And so I've thought a lot about it, and I've always believed, and it makes my kids crazy when I say. Everything happens for a reason when and how it is supposed to happen. And so I'm not going to lie. This has been challenging, but we started the pandemic and it literally was like three weeks after I was named COO, the pandemic happened. And then, you know, the murder of George Floyd and then preparing for this election and you know, the economic uncertainty, the loss of life and livelihood are, are related to COVID, this racial reckoning, which, you know, hurts. But I believe, like most things, that God put me in this spot at this time for a reason. And what keeps me going are the almost daily, almost daily affirmations from people who say, I can I see what you're doing. I can feel the difference. I appreciate your effort. I am supporting you. I know this is hard. And that is what is keeping me going. But, you know, it is some most days it's very affirming. Most days it's very fulfilling where I'm just like, my God, I have such a wonderful job. You know, at one like in the morning, I'm counseling Fortune 50 clients in the afternoon. I'm uh, securing some new business that's gonna make a difference for, for people. And later on in the day, I'm executing some operational change that will make it easier for our colleagues. But I think I'm doing it because I was put in this place at this time for a reason. And I'm able to do it because I had a little bit of a plan when I began and I said to myself and I said to my colleagues when this is over we want to be able to evaluate ourselves you know so I went to the end and said well how do I want this to how do I, how do I want this to be reflected and it was I want to be able to say we were there for our colleagues we were there for our clients and we were there for our community so practically and tactically we had a roadmap. And so that has made it a little easier in our decision-making. Is it good for our colleagues? Then let's do it. If it is, are we standing next to our clients? Then yes, this is the right thing. And can we have an impact in our community, whether it's our local community or whether it is a community of people that may be preparing for a vaccine and we're doing vaccine trial research. We're helping communities of color and people who would not be normally inclined to participate, but that's a community and we're saying to them, yes, you've got to participate in these clinical trials because this vaccine has to work on you because you are more inclined to be hurt by it. So it makes it easier when I, when we've got those three things and we can make our decision-making and all of those things are very
0: fulfilling. I love that. I love that. Really. It's the the end in mind outcomes and impact, right? And that's why you do what you do and reflecting on your colleagues, your clients in the community. I think you've got it in the, you know, the priority set, right? I love it. I love it. Well, and moving on to that, right? I mean, obviously years of experience in private sector, public sector, all have informed your leadership mindsets and your strategic bin, right? To deliver. Mm -hmm. In those years of experience, you know, what is one thing in particular maybe that sticks out for you as being formative, something that fundamentally changed who you are or how you show up? And maybe what happened? What was the lesson that you took away?
1: I think it was the loss of my mother seven years ago, the eight years in February. So, you know, my mother had been my role model. My mother was unlike my children, my mother prepared a hot meal for me and my three brothers every morning. And there was a hot meal for dinner. And at the same time, she was the highest ranking woman of color at HHS. And at the same time, she was the president of the PTA and at the same time would walk into the school play looking like she stepped out of a magazine. And preparing for her loss and then experiencing it was very difficult and very challenging for me because people say nobody loves you like your mother like that's not necessarily true but in my case it was and i felt a level of responsibility to carry on what she had taught me and we had done everything up until that moment together And then I felt a responsibility to honor her service, to honor her life with my own. And again, you are asking me these serious questions that are really forcing me to go deep on a a few things. But I think, yeah, I think that 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 has been a, a real significant life change for me. And everything that I had been doing, I think I've done it with an accelerated sense of urgency
0: since she passed yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i love it Yep, i mean urgency you were on fire before but you're definitely on fire even more now right because everything that you do in a sense right is to honor her life her legacy and everything that yeah. she instilled yeah. in you and your family right so she's that guiding force for you so thank you for sharing that i really appreciate it i really do moms are super super special i, I know yeah you I'm, made me I'm go serious. somewhere on that serious. one let me get myself so back <laughs> That's all right. I'm a this up. I'm a this up. I promise you. So let's, let's talk a little bit about your personal mantras or your philosophy, things that have at your life and career. I know you talk a lot about the four agreements. And so I love that. Share more about that. Okay. Well, I love
1: the four agreements. And so let me talk about them and, and tell you sort of how, how I came to them. So one is don't take it personally. And I think we either as women, as people of color, as young people, or or just as people, sometimes something can happen and you get so twisted and so upset and so worried. And I had a a colleague say to me one time, she kept circling around my office and I was like, Susie, what? So she said, are you mad at me? And I was like, no, why? So she said, because you didn't speak. I said, girl, I didn't see you. I didn't see you and you don't spend you spent a right. day worried about yeah, you because you took it personally and there was nothing there. So I think all of us just have to learn, and particularly in this period where you feel things so intensely, it's like, look, you gotta this was not directed at you. This is something that happened, but you know, that mm-hmm. can impale you. That can impale you, and you're like sitting there. Yes negotiating with yourself and thinking it through and like, what did I do? Huh, I shouldn't have done this. I I mean, it's just part. like, oh my God, don't take it personally and move on. The second one I think I love because I love the vocabulary of it is be impeccable with your word. And this is something that my parents taught mm. my brothers and I early on. That's all you have is your word. So when you say when LaKeisha says, "Hey, can you do this podcast with me? Can you have this conversation with me?" If I mm-hmm. say I'm going to do it, then I'm going to do it, come hell or high water. If I yep. hear about something that I would love to repeat because it's juicy, but really, is it additive to, for me to repeat it? So that's me being impeccable with my mm-hmm. word. I need to use my words carefully and for good and for positivity. And I don't need to use that. And if I make a commitment, but if I and and, and then be clean with your mouth. My kids would laugh because they're like, mom, you're the biggest potty Mm. potty mouth. And I'm like, yes, but I'm not vile. (laughs) But like be clean with your mouth and your mouth and your word is how you walk into a room. It's how people interpret you. It's how they experience you. Mm -hmm. And it's so precious. And I don't think we like pay enough attention to how special our words are and how they are so indicative of who we are and what we believe in our values. Don't make assumptions. The third one. Now, this is one I have to work on a lot. Because I am prone to do this. And my favorite story on this is it wasn't at Edelman, I was at a firm previous to this. And I always meet with the young people. I always meet with the interns and talk to them about their dreams and hopes and aspirations and expectations. And I was in this room. And so this kid comes in late. Now, first of all, you got a lot of nerve to come in late. You're an intern, right? You're gonna come with your meeting with the president of your office. Come, come on, on now. And so, and then when I looked at him, he looked at like all of the young white men that went to my brother's school. He had a pink button down shirt, okay. hair. He had a little blazer swung over oh his thing. Goodness. And I was like, yeah. I know if I look at this boy's shoes, he's not going to have any socks want I know it. He's going to have a little coat, no socks. <laughs> of course, I snuck down, look at his feet. And I was like, I so I made an assumption. There was him, right. I put him in a box. Later on that day, and I I so I spoke to the interns. I was about to go on vacation, as I often do. I talked about my faith, and I think it was like the, uh, the Easter holidays, and I was getting ready to go away. So later on in the day, I see this kid. His name was Brandon, coming out of my office, and I was like, and then he steals. Now he's in my office stealing. You know, I like <laughs> took it there, and he said, uh, I was like, hey Brandon, what's what's up? uh, cause you were late. And he says, Oh, I know you're going on vacation and you talked about your faith. And I just had a book for you that I thought w- you might enjoy. So it was mm. Ta-Nehisi Coates between the world and me. Yeah, girl. Right. Wow. So listen, no I way. did not, I hadn't read the book. And so here was this young white man that I had put in a box I had made assumptions about Mm -hmm. him and he was not that person at all. And so this one is the one that I work on the most, but in some ways it's so important because we have to let people be who they are without, you know, you walk into a room as a black woman, you don't want negative assumptions made about you because you have a preconceived notion about what a black woman says, does, how she shows up, et cetera. You know, I have the same experience, obviously, if I walk in a room, but similarly, when a white man walks in, don't assume that he's bad. Don't assume that he's racist. Mm -hmm. Don't assume that he has done some of the things that you and I talked about earlier on this call that some of these white men have, but don't make assumptions about people and let them be. And then the last one you talked about this is I can't help this. And that is always do your best. Bring it every single Mm -hmm. time. If you're writing an email, bring it. If you're going to be on a show with a friend, bring it. If you're going to give a speech, bring it. If you're going to write a proposal, bring it. If you're going to cook Thanksgiving dinner, bring it. But always do your best. And it's a little selfish because when you always do your best, you don't have any regrets. Something didn't work out. You're like, okay, I gave it my all. So I guess that wasn't meant to happen.
0: I know that's right. Man, those are powerful. Okay, I'm adopting those. I (laughs) I love it. Bring your A game, don't take it personal, be impeccable with your word, <laughs> and don't make assumptions. Powerful. Love those stories too. Love, love, love. Well, let me talk about some of the work that you guys are doing, which um, has been far reaching. And I tell you, I'm sure you're busier than ever now with everything that's happening at the same time in the environment. You guys have a history of being bold and brave, really being out front. And encouraging your clients to do the same. Some examples include CVS, where you partnered with them and, and really helped them focused on changing their strategy and stop selling mm-hmm. tobacco products on mm-hmm. shelves, right? You worked on that. REI, really valuing their family, their employees and their families and saying, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to opt out of Black Friday. Starbucks, getting rid of plastic straws. I think the jury's still out on that one, but we're <laughs> going to keep going to move on. I'm just... <laughs> you know, everything is good for the environment, so we're okay with that but you've encouraged businesses to embrace the responsibility that they carry as actors in our society. And the notion that businesses should be institutions for good. Talk a little bit about, you know, what that means to you, why it's important to role model that in your own sphere of influence, but but also why do you keep that as a, a common theme in all that you do in your work environment?
1: The reason that I came to Edelman, one. Two, mm-hmm. Richard Edelman is the most bold and brave CEO that I have ever worked with. Is he flawless? No. Is he perfect? No. Does he make mistakes? Absolutely. But his heart and his mind are some of the most impressive organs that I have seen in a human being. And he Mm, and I have been in a room with him, with global CEOs of companies that I won't name, where he has said, but what is your purpose? Yes. What is your purpose? Why are, yes, of course, we are all about making money. Nobody is, man, nobody's not talking about not making any money, but what, <laughs> what purpose can you serve? It's what I call purpose profitability. No, but I, he, and he is mm. instilled in all of us and it is our work mantra. Like, and for all of those clients that you, that you talked about, CBS, REI, Starbucks, um, and I work on the Starbucks account, It's very, very clearly, yes, make your money. But what societal ill can you uh, resolve? What thing can you bring to the table? What difference can you make? And it's in everything that we do now, you know, not everyone will agree with every decision that we have ever made in business. And we have some clients that I won't name because you'll be like, well, damn, they're still struggling <laughs> because <laughs> right. it is a cuz it's right, a, right. It's, a journey, it's a journey but yeah. <laughs> okay but this this concept yeah. of and so for me it's such a perfect fit because again i was taught early you can do well by doing good that you can mm-hmm. do well by Love doing that. good and so i think the edelman approach to work is what is the purpose here? How can we advance a societal issue? How can we resolve a problem? And one of the things that Richard said early on, he was like, in, in COVID, and then in, 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 in he, it, these racial equities, I don't know if you've seen this research that we've been doing, mm-hmm. but we've been doing like this remarkable, this was all stuff that he commissioned because he wanted to go into the field to find out what is the role of business in eliminating systemic racism. But all of this stuff, he has said to us, this is the time to solve, not sell. So whatever Mm -mm. you do, Edelman colleagues, and whatever you tell your Edelman clients, help. This is about solving issues and not selling products. Now, if you sell something while you're solving, good for you. But this is about solving Mm -hmm. right now. So we do it with our clients, and then we try to do it in our day-to-day. Because, you know, you can't separate yourself. Like, who you are at work is kind of who you are, period. Period. You know, and so you kind of and so it's lovely Mm -hmm. for me to work in a place where I can blend my personal beliefs and manifest them in my professional life.
0: Love it. Love it. I mean, and you really just kind of tease out the other thing I want to talk about. And I love that. Right. But it speaks to. Uh, your CEO, Richard, saying being bold and brave and really focusing on being a part of the solution and not the problem and the work that you got and the fundamental responsibility to your point yeah. that he believes you all have as a company with other businesses to to basically make a yeah. difference in the world in which they operate, right? And so I think it was bold that you guys to say, we're going to lead in this space on really articulating what businesses' responses should be to this racial injustice that we're seeing every day day.
1: Yeah, it's it's a journey, right? I love that. You can't, we don't nail it all the time. It's a journey. But I was recently, I did a, a couple of meetings this morning and was advising. And mm-hmm. I think one of the questions, like, how are you advising clients, particularly in decisions they're making and in, in terms yeah. of racial equity? And I was like, it is pure heart and thick skin.
0: So right, like right. these
1: these decisions are yep. they're not hard in terms of determining what's right or wrong, but because everything has been so broke, it's trying to like shift this this, this steam yes. liner like all the way around because it's been so broken. So it's not, the, the decision is not hard, but the execution is hard because so many, so much of the infrastructure, like everyone has read Cast, and so the infrastructure mm-hmm. is rooted towards racism. And so to try to change all of these things, but you have to go back to it, be bold and brave in your thinking and then your execution in terms of actually
0: driving a change agenda. Wow. Love it. it. And to your point, I mean, it's been a really tough year for black and brown Americans, right? From the racial injustice of the pandemic that we talked about earlier. And I know you guys have a, a multi-million dollar pro bono commitment to combating racial injustice. And I know as part of that, you forged a relationship with Taraji P. Henson, yes. Taraji and her foundation I'm in honor of her father, the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation, I'm really focusing on mental health awareness and, and identifying those challenges and really helping people navigate through those. Tell us a little bit about that work and why it's important to you, especially right now.
1: When George Floyd was, was murdered, it forced everyone, even people who have been doing what they're supposed to do in this space to like stop and think. You know, I I've sat, I've, I look at him as such a martyr because so many before him and so many after. But this was obviously a catalytic moment for this country. And Edelman, like the agencies and the clients that we were counseling, we had to do what the first set of our research said, one, universal belief that systemic racism exists. And this was like with 67, 63% of all those polls. This is black, white. This is all age groups. This is Republican, Democrats, independents. It ran the gamut. So people were like, yeah, okay, I mm-hmm. systemic racism exists. And then a majority also said, and brands have a responsibility to do something about it. So then after we looked at the research and then we were like, so what is the expectation of brands? It was one, you have influence, use it. So some of our big brands, like mm-hmm. a Unilever, like some of the things that they've done in this space is remarkable. And so, but you have you have a you have a big brand. So use it because when you do something, others will follow. Two, we said advocate and educate. Mm-hmm. It should be educate and advocate because you can't really advocate unless you are educated yourself. So it was educate, educate and, mm-hmm. ed- and advocate for within your company and, and externally. The third one was and get your own house in order. Get your own house in order. And then the fourth one was know that there will be repercussions if you don't. Because some 70% say that they will buy or boycott. Actually, the number is not that high, but it's significant. Will buy or boycott. If they don't believe that your intentions are pure, that you're taking an action. So when all of these brands were like, I've got to make a statement, I've got to say something, I stand against racism, Black Lives Matter, I stand with my Black employees, which I'll go back to. And Richard made a statement that was a little stronger than our some of the other agencies. And we said to him, but know that people are going to be looking at us. Who's on your board? Right. Who are your senior people?
0: Who yes. are you? You know, is Lisa
1: Ross your only person in the C-suite? You know, what's the plan? You know, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And so he was understood and listed the things that we would do. And then he said, but I also want to drive change again with, with a gift. So this is the way we looked at it. One, bloom when you where you are planted. We are of white corporate America. Mm -hmm. And so we joined CEO Action Network in their attempt to look at how they could root out systemic racism in corporate America. So the first thing was bloom where you were planted. The second thing that our research indicated and that we know historically is how we are portrayed is a significant contributor to systemic racism. And how the media portrays us, how we're portrayed in how our lack of engagement and having seats at the table in newsrooms worldwide. And so, our second partnership was the was with the National Association of Black Journalists to ensure and to raise the elevation of Black and Brown voices in the newsroom. And then the third one is probably my favorite. And that is, but there's an impact on all of this pain. There's an impact on being Black sometimes, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it is mental health. And so we partnered with the Taraji P. Henson Foundation that she created, the Boris T. Henson Foundation, rather, that Taraji created in honor of her father to look at the issues of Black mental health. And one of the engagements that they that this team has already delivered. Shout out to that team. Is one there was there there were not enough. They couldn't access enough black psychologists to provide this counsel. So we helped them to to assemble a greater number of people to provide mm-hmm. counsel. And then once the infrastructure was set up, it was like okay, let us help you. So everybody raised their hand except for black men, because you know in our culture, mm. you know it has never been okay for them to say, I'm not okay.
0: Right. It, it's never been okay right. for, yep. you know, it's
1: hard enough for us as black women, but for our black men, never been okay. And oh, yeah. they created a narrative, an advertising platform, influencers, partners, partnerships, Charlemagne, the God was involved. And we wow. were able to have a 562% increase okay. in the engagement of black men. And allowing them to say, you know what, I need help. Wow. I'm not okay. I'm I'm not okay. And this is not a reflection of my manhood. Mm -hmm. This isn't reflection, but I need help. Mm -hmm. And I'm super proud of that. I'm super, super proud of that.
0: Wow. Impressive. Outstanding work. And I mean the impact again, it goes back to what you said. How are we making an impact with the work that we're doing? That is tremendous because I think we all are kind of to your point experiencing Mm -hmm. some PTSD on so many levels. COVID-19. I mean, it's a lot, right? Our jobs, working from home, managing kids. Yeah, it's a Calgon (laughs) moment. Okay. It really is. It's
1: hard on on. us, but I have to say that when all of this happened and, you know, I'm sure you received some of the calls and the texts that I did from your white colleagues and partners and friends and, you know, perhaps family Mm -hmm. members who were Mm -hmm. like, I stand with you, Right. Um, I support you, you are not in mm-hmm. this alone, et cetera, et cetera. And my reaction was, I'm good. You need to stand with these racist institutions that perpetuate the problems that we're talking about. Spend your time and energy on change, not mm-hmm. comfort. And that was yes. for me. You now, some people no, were right. like, oh, uh, I need a was- comfort call. I was like, I don't, I need, I'm not the problem. <laughs> Go to the root of the problem and spend that time and energy on trying to address the root of the problem. And and, and I will get through it. Thank you. On the diversity front, as, as I said, when Richard decided to make this bold statement, I said and others said, so you're going to be asked. And so he immediately said, we have a small board. And so he was like, my next seat on the board will be a person of color. Deb Elam, formerly uh, GE, joined our board of directors, a sister, three months ago. The operating committee is the vehicle that basically drives the agenda and operates the company. And he said, I will increase diversity on the operating committee. Three months ago, I was named as the newest member of the operating committee. He has been Love so it. clear so clear. And I mean with numbers. And we set a measurement tool, but we, I'm being generous, Trish Smith, who is our global chief diversity officer, who has been driving this change at Edelman for for the 20 years that she's been there. We had already, Trish had already driven this effort to say that we would be 24% diverse. I know I'm gonna get the numbers wrong, but 30% diverse by 2024. And we are now 26% diverse. And so we are well on our way. And Richard has been very clear and I have been intimately involved in the hiring of senior members of our team who will be and have been people of color. And since this summer, 50% 50% of all of our senior hires have been people of color.
0: Oh my gosh, that is huge. Congratulations, right? I mean, I know it's a journey, but I mean, wow, that's a huge step. Uh, you made the commitment. And what I hear you saying is the CEO and the entire C-suite and the board is bought into yes.
1: that. Yes, yes. it's required to. I mean, this is the thing. and it's, 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 And as you know, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned over time is, yes, leaders must set it at the top, but it can stop in the middle. So it starts at the top for sure, but it can stop in the middle unless you drive it all the way through. And I should also add, as a part of these diversity measures, all senior managers are now evaluated in terms of their KPIs and their uh, criteria for advancement on whether they are engaging, actively engaged in ensuring diversity among their their own team. So it's like you can talk about it, but you're not going to get a treat unless you actually do it.
0: Come on now. You have to inspect what you expect and you you get what you measure. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, I want to just get your thoughts, right? I know just recently, I mean, President elect Biden announced the first senior White House communications team comprised entirely of women. Hello. I mean, they're experienced, they're diverse, they're talented, they are breaking barriers, right? And they're battle tested communicators. I mean, by the way, I want to congratulate you, ma'am, on your recognition yesterday by the Public Relations Society of America's, the National Capital Chapter. And oh, you were inducted into the Hall of Fame for outstanding, you know, outstanding, you know, service and excellence in your field. So I just you. want to congratulate you there. And I know this ties right into these phenomenal group of women who have for years demonstrated outstanding work and commitment and dedication and excellence in their field Talk a little bit about that. How was, what was that moment like for you to experience that? What I'm sure some of your peers, and these are women that I know you know very well. Some of these women I've
1: tried to hire. So let me say that. Uh, Okay. Some of these women, two of them I've tried to hire. Others I know, others I know of. I mean, I, I, I hope that my reaction is not disappointing. I was like, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I know oh, okay. Come on now, yeah, that's, that's, about that's time. Great. what's next? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, I was like, yeah, that's great, what's next? <laughs> right. And so I was very happy about it. I was very pleased. They're all competent, extraordinarily competent women. And I can't help but know that my Sarar, the vice president elect, thank
0: you. My- Come on now. Well, you know what, I meant to call that out because I don't think we discussed this, but you know, I'm an AKA, so that was on my list to call it out. My- <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, so let me correct this. Our Sarar, as you know, right,
1: right, you know, the, as they say the old folks say our Sarar. <laughs> but, uh, but you know our All our right. Soror, I know is driving this. Yeah. I know I, you know, I believe that I actually know uh, the president elect a little bit. I wouldn't say that I know him well, but if he saw me in a room, he would make me feel the way he makes everybody feel and that is welcome and seen and valuable. And I think his selection of vice president of Senator Harris is, is beyond symbolism, but it was just smart. I mean, like any partnership, he has some things that she doesn't, and she has some things that he doesn't. And that's what makes a beautiful partnership. And so, you know, as my mother said, you don't get credit for doing what you're
0: supposed to be doing.
1: So I was like,
0: well, that's Come great. On now. Let's keep going. <laughs> Let's keep going. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, listen, I, we're going to have <laughs> part two because you and I could talk all day. This has been uh, the Mine highlight. of my day. I love it. So to let us know, my audience know, how they can stay connected with you because they're definitely going to want to follow you. I mean, just your, your messages, LinkedIn, what I've seen on Twitter, Facebook. Um, it's a leadership voice, and they need to hear it in their lives, no doubt. So, give us a couple ways to stay in contact with you.
1: I am terrible on social media, but my team—no, LinkedIn—I'm LinkedIn not. So, not. my team is my team is very, very good, and I express myself on my LinkedIn page. I express, and so I would. Mm-hmm. I, one, I listen. I feel support from people who haven't even heard this yet. So. <laughs> I I feel support from people who haven't even heard our our broadcast yet, but that is the best way. People kill me, but I'm going to give you the name of uh, Maria Arilla, who is my uh, colleague (laughs) who who makes
0: everything work,
1: (laughs) who makes everything work. And so if anyone ever needs, really needs something and they can't get in touch with me, Maria is the best person to engage with. So I'm not going to forget, even though I said it in the beginning, because I believe you have to live a life of constant gratitude and it almost makes it easier. So I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I'm grateful that I met you at Odyssey. Thank yes. you, Linda, for pulling all yes. of us together. And hello, <laughs> and what, like this has just been a gift that keeps on giving. And I, and I applaud you for doing this. and I, And I know that your listeners do too.
0: Awesome. I appreciate you, beautiful. You have been a blessing to me and I'm excited to share you um, in this context great. and more right. to come Take with Mr. Ross. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of ROAR. Tune in next time for more awesome talks with people at the top. Don't forget to subscribe and share, so you're the first to know when our newest episodes are available. Until next time.